0: Welcome, everyone, to Politics and Perspective, episode four. I'm Taylor Wong, joined, as always, by Cole Reynolds. And today we have two very special guests on with us. The first, many of you probably know, Hedware's junior, Luke Lamison, um, And the second guest, I'll let him introduce himself.
1: Hi, I'm uh, I'm George Destino. I'm a junior at Miramonte High School. Uh, and, you know, I'm here to provide a little bit of alternative perspective. I'm a libertarian.
2: Um, exactly. And I think the goal of this podcast is to really highlight two contrasting points of view and especially highlight george's um political ideology which is not necessarily heard so much at head royce and luke um, is obviously here to moderate this discussion make sure that um no one gets out of line no one um attacks each other personally and make sure that we have a productive conversation on all facets so with that uh, luke take it away
3: all right so i also wanted to say that another one of my kind of functions here as a moderator is that i'm also going to serve as a fact checker so if at any at any point in the debate uh any of you kind of um want to see something fact checked, just let me know and um i can do a, a quick search and and figure out whether or not it's true so with that being said um why don't we jump right into things and ask my first question is going to be for George. Uh, so what has Trump done in the last four years that merits re-election? And you may go ahead. Um, I mean, it's kind of hard
1: to pick just one. I know that kind of sounds like a like a typical Trumpy response. But, you know, um, I really I think one thing that stands out is the economy has recently has been grown at. Uh, recently started growing at rates never before seen in all of American history. This, you know, it's really prevalent with this massive amount of economic growth we've had and coming out of this, um, coming out of this recession due to the coronavirus. I think personally, I think you should highlight it a little more because, you know, if things are going well right now with this coming up, so we don't know if, you know, Joe Biden, you know, not to trash on him or anything will continue that economic growth.
3: So now before before we let anyone have a response, I wanted to ask Cole and Taylor their question uh, about uh, for Biden for Biden supporters. so why why do you think that Biden will be a better president than Trump has been?
0: Sure, I can go. Um, so obviously, Biden Biden wasn't my first choice. I was a Bernie Sanders' supporter in the Democratic primaries, Democratic primaries. But at the end of the day, Biden might not be perfect, but in my opinion, he is the right person who can unite our country and bring us out of this pandemic into a better place. Um, I also think he's stronger on issues such as like the Supreme Court and climate change. But I'm sure we'll get to those issues later. But in general, I think he'll take he'll be the leader that this country needs. He'll restore our international reputation and, as well as domestically, I think we'll see a lot of improvement.
2: For me, um, as the more moderate. Uh, between us Taylor um, my big reason for supporting Biden for a long for a long time even before he had the nomination was um, that I thought that these last four years I don't think you can anybody can tell me in good faith that their life hasn't been crazier or more hectic or that America has been more divided these last four years um, than it was in the previous eight and you could blame, Democrats, Republicans, whoever you want to blame for that. But for me, Trump um, r- Trump has at least some responsibility for pouring gasoline on that um, divisive fire. And um, for me, I think that a moderate a candidate is right in this moment to try to heal the division that has plagued America uh, for the last four years. So, George, um, I think you talked about the economy in uh, your your reasons why Trump wants to, um, or why you want Trump to be reelected. And I'm wondering, so I, people people say that the economy is growing at the fastest rate it has been um, in, in of all time. But I think that ignores the larger context of the whole situation, which is that we had the biggest economic collapse since the Great Depression before that. So if we look at this whole fiscal year, we're actually at a job loss um, in the economy. We're actually, we've actually had less jobs, less GDP, less everything by every economic measure since uh, January 1st. So even though this last three months has, we have gained jobs, we just gained back the jobs that we had already lost in the previous three months. Uh, what do you say to that criticism?
1: Well, you know, that's a pretty reasonable, you know, I've definitely thought about that, that obviously one of the main reasons we're having such a great economic boost is because of the fact that, you know, we had low standards to begin with because of the recession. Um, but, you know, the I think the factor of why, you know, people are going to start supporting Trump or why this helps Trump specifically is because the fact of the matter is we don't know if the same growth would happen under the guy who's from the beginning Been his whole trademark is that he is the economist. He's the guy who knows the economy. And we just don't know about, uh, we just don't know if that same thing is going to continue under a Biden administration.
2: I'm I'm wondering, George, uh, I think I'll get to some of your points um, with Trump being the economist in a second, but I'm wondering uh, what makes you so afraid about Biden's platform or the Democratic platform in general? Um, What makes you so afraid? Uh, that they'll halt economic
1: growth well that's a pretty good question biden specifically he's just like the only thing about biden that i'm worried about is that he is a, is just a democrat and you know that's not to hate on democrats or anything but you know a big part of the democratic ideology and democratic policy are taxes and an increase in taxes you know uh republicans tend to be very low taxes and i think right now like more than ever we need the lowest taxes that we can you know afford um and you know i think yeah basically that's that's one of the main reasons Uh, and he just doesn't have as much experience so that's the negatives of biden but one of the positives of trump that just kind of is just not there with biden is that biden just doesn't have the same experience with the economy as trump does you know he's basically his whole life has been centered around knowing the economy and knowing how the market works
2: um I think I think I think um the I think the uh I could go and go after um in go after uh your point about um that lower taxes will help the economy, but I think we'll just we just have a fundamental disagreement about that. But I want to take it in actually a different way. Um my response to that. I think that A lot of people, when they talk about raising taxes and Democrats, they talk about them as being socialist and we're on the path to socialism. But for me, I think both parties have socialist elements in them, in their platforms. But the difference for me is that the Democrats practice proactive socialism, where Republicans actually practice reactive social policy. Um, And let me give you a recent example. Uh, like A proactive socialist would stockpile preemptively ventilators and PPE and make sure that everybody had access to healthcare and unemployment insurance. So when, if a pandemic uh, came, we would be prepared to mitigate the impact. And all of these things cost a lot of money and they're picked up by the taxpayer ahead of a pandemic. But on the other hand, Republicans in their efforts to curb government spending um, didn't allocate the money for these things. So in the pandemic did hit this year, um, and people needed ventilators, PPE, healthcare, and unemployment benefits. Um, taxpayers still had to pick up the bill, but on the back end, um, and an even larger bill uh, at that one than they would have had if they had preemptively uh, given Americans all of those things. So personally, I think I would rather spend less money before 200,000 people die um, than more money after they do. Um, so, so yeah, that is my stance on um, uh, higher taxes and this, quote-unquote, socialism of the Democratic Party. Uh, what, I was wondering um, if that is a fair criticism of the uh, Republican stance.
1: Uh, you know, I think one thing you have to take into consideration is that any time there's any sort of crisis, the government, you know, out of fear, mostly the government gets a boost in power. And there's, you know, one of the big, I guess, Republican beliefs is that um, is, you know, small central, small government, small centralized government. But anytime there's any sort of crisis, uh, the and we saw this after almost literally every crisis we've ever had as a country, the government gets an increase of power. And then, you know, a lot of the times we end up regretting it later um but so when it comes down to the actual republican ideology i don't see that as a really fair criticism because i don't see you know that's basically just any government whenever there's a crisis their job is to react to the crisis whether it's republican or democrat um the thing is is that uh you know there's a difference between preparing for an incoming crisis and then just having this these systems in general like i think under a socialist government um it wouldn't have been about yes we probably would have dealt with this situation better but then our you know freedoms in general after we got out of this situation would have been almost tarnished because uh, you know you can't always be preparing for disaster we can't like We can't have always like this. We can't live in fear, essentially, is what I'm trying to say, is that we can't always live in fear. We have to we have to protect our freedoms, essentially.
3: Do you believe that Trump did a good job of handling the coronavirus?
1: Um, You know, I think he did. I think the big thing. Uh, with the coronavirus, with the handling of the coronavirus, is I don't really see how we could have done any better job. You know, I've never, I haven't heard anyone propose anything that would have been particularly, you know, oh that would have been a good idea if we had done that. I mean, there are some ideas where oh we should have shut down travel earlier, but you know, you couldn't, you can't be mind readers. So some pr- ideas were a little, you know, less practical than others. But I think the big thing that Trump has on his side is, um is, you know, shutting down travel between the U.S. and China, which was widely criticized um, by, I think, I believe both parties, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think both parties were critical of this move. And it turned out, I believe Dr. Fauci said it saved, you know, thousands of lives. So I would say the response was, you know, I I don't see how it could have been any better, is essentially my response.
0: I guess the first thing I want to say in response to his is kind of shut down on travel from China is that, like, let's be real, by that time, the virus is in other places. It was in Italy, in places like Iran. Those are where a lot of the coronavirus cases came from. And by not taking action on those countries that kind of contributed to the buildup of the coronavirus. My second thing I want to say is that I guess Trump's problem with the coronavirus is that he doesn't take it seriously. And that sets a terrible example for the American people. I mean. He holds. He, he's continued to hold massive rallies with thousands of people, no masks, no social distancing. He holds events at the White House where where the coronavirus are literally super spread to him. He literally got the coronavirus. A bunch of other federal officials got the coronavirus from that. And I just think that idea of not taking it seriously is a total and complete lack of professionalism. We should be listening to the scientists. There's literally evidence out there that says if there is a universal mask mandate, it could save over a hundred thousand lives. I believe that was a University of Washington study that said that. And I just think he's his leadership has not has been terrible in this pandemic. And I think many lives could have been saved if not for that.
1: Uh, Cole, do you want to add on to that?
2: Yeah, I wanna I I wanna go back to the Woodward tapes. And I'm and look if you if anybody doesn't um, know what those were, and those, um, I think I explained them earlier that. Trump basically admitted to a reporter that he knew how serious the coronavirus pandemic would be and said he didn't want to panic America. And Biden and Kamala Harris have brought this up in debates, um, in in multiple debates. And um, so my question for you, George, is um, was Trump right to not panic America? Was he right to um, kind of? downplay it for a little bit uh
1: all right so i guess i'll start with uh the first response um all right it was you didn't like the correct me if i'm wrong but you didn't like the massive rallies you didn't like the uh um the example he was setting by holding these massive rallies with little Mm -hmm. masks Um, and you mentioned he himself got the uh, coronavirus So I guess my is that essentially what your response was, or is there anything? Yeah, yeah. I mean,
0: I talked. Yeah, that was kind of one of the main points.
1: All right. Um, I guess essentially my response would be, is that for the rallies specifically, um, you know, I've seen almost every time I look at one of these rallies behind, at least behind Donald Trump, you know, it could be you could one could make the argument that they're somehow trying to do some sort of movie magic where they're you know trying to get all the people with masks right behind him. But every time I look at one of these rallies. I see a bunch of people with masks. You know, sometimes there are the occasional, you know, dots of people who have their masks pulled down or don't have a mask at all. Um, but I think when it, your point about the rallies is it, it's mostly about, you know, personal responsibility. If you want to come to these rallies, you can, you're free to. Um, if you don't want to come to, the, if you're scared, you're, you can feel free to wear a mask. And there are other ways to view the rallies from home. Uh, especially I think I believe they are all live streamed as well so it really depends on do you want to it, it's you know it's freedom it's freedom of, it's responsibility are you going to be how responsible what do you think is right for you is essentially what I'm trying to say
2: well before before we we go into the Woodward tapes I want to I want to hear your opinion on where the line is between um, personal freedom and your choice to get infected with coronavirus or not and then your responsibility as a citizen in the United States, to protect your fellow countrymen and to limit the spread of coronavirus to them.
1: All right. Well, that's you know that's a pretty good question to ask. Essentially, you know, I guess one thing I want to clarify about my position as libertarian. Libertarian essentially essential position is, you know, very little government in a, interference as much as possible, and and for the you know when it comes to personal freedoms do whatever you want as long as it's not hurting someone else and then in situations like this it's that those lines get blurry because it's not you're not sure how much you're putting someone at risk and what everyone's specific situation is so when it comes to government interference i think there should be very little government interference um you know i think it's perfectly reasonable for a restaurant or a store to have to have mask mandates, and if you don't like it, you can get out. That's their right to kick you out. Um, but I think you know it's it's a whole it's a big old test of our responsibility. Are the stores going to be responsible? Are the people going to be responsible? Is are we going to be and are we also going to you know claim that someone's being irresponsible and we don't know their situation? So it's very individualistic. It's it's very case by case basis. Um, Let's see, I want to make sure I'm responding to all your questions and all your points. Um, and you know, I guess to your point about, um, you know, him getting coronavirus, you know, it's I guess it's, it's reasonable and I, I guess reasonable. It's expected that probably someone who's holding these massive rallies and is a politician, and is a celebrity figure who isn't, you know, hiding away in their mansion or something like that while the rest of the people just try to work through it that when you're essentially a celebrity public figure that you very possibly could get coronavirus. Um, but I don't really, I mean, I guess that it gets, it gets brought up a lot. Um, and I could, you know, go uh, ask, I could make the argument that, you know, I'm sure not you, I'm sure not you guys specifically, but I knew many of my friends who are hardcore Democrats who are, Excited about the fact that he got coronavirus, which I thought was a little, it, it you know, it kind of hurt my heart a little bit. But, um, but yeah, so I think, I think it's, uh, reasonable. Um, Cole, you asked about the, what will, can you remind me what the tapes are called again? I think, I think
2: Taylor, uh, has, yeah, yeah I that. Then we'll get to the Woodward tapes. We'll eventually get there. We'll eventually get there.
0: I guess. I would like to address your personal responsibility. But first, I just want to ask you real quick. Do you think there's any way that Trump could have avoided COVID by kind of taking other precautions per se? That's a tough one. I don't see off the top of my head. I don't
1: really see he was, you know, complying with all mandates. He was staying six feet apart. He was wearing his mask when within six feet of other people. Um, so I don't really, there's nothing that comes to mind immediately. You're feel free to bring something up. If you can think of an example of where he should have done something differently. Um, but I can't think of anything specifically he could have done that would have prevented this from happening.
0: Okay. That's fair. Um, well, and you talked a lot about personal responsibility and how kind of your libertarian views influence that, but, I guess as someone as someone on the left I guess who's in favor of a bigger government I guess my counter would be is that when the public can't take responsibility for themselves and others I feel like that's where the government has to step in and this pandemic has proven that people are a pretty selfish and b don't care about really care as much about the well-being of other people when you talk about the Trump rallies and the people going there it's the risk for themselves yes it, they're, they're risking getting code, but they're also risking giving it to other people. and that's kind of beyond their control. And that's where that's where my problem that's where my problem with the rally starts is that it's a risk not only to the people who go, but it's a risk to anyone in the future who those people might come in contact with.
1: Yeah, I, that's a pretty reasonable response. I think that's a pretty reasonable position that it is, you know once again that would go under, as long as you're not hurting hurting others. So that would kind of go under that. So I think we kind of agree on that. Um, so it's once again, it's very hard to gauge because you don't know what other precautions these people are taking. We don't know if they're just staying home uh, with their family members, all of whom are very healthy. We don't know if they have perhaps elderly people that either they're around often or in their family members or in their homes. So it's very difficult. I mean, of course, there are going to be people who are not responsible and they're going to be people who take risks that they should not take but i don't think it's the government's job to like try to it's not the government's job to try to like make sure these people are protecting themselves we can what we can do the best we can do is advise people you know try to stay away from people who have been in mass gatherings and we can advise people to try to take ma- to keep on masks but i really Every time we give the government too much power, in a moment of crisis, we always, always, always—history has shown us again and again and again—that we always regret it. Uh-oh. Every atrocity has always been because some sort of crisis led the government to have too much power, and then the worst atrocity in human history happens. Essentially.
2: Well, I, I, there's, I think there's a lot to unpack in that comment, but um, but and we don't have time to get to the historical analysis of um, crises like this pandemic. But I think one thing that you mentioned was that it's the government job to advise people on how to protect themselves. And for me, that's another way that Trump has failed in this pandemic response. For example, in his town hall on NBC a couple of weeks ago, he alluded to the fact that masks, masks I can't even talk right now, masks, um, don't pre- don't protect people. He said that 85% of people who wear masks get COVID, which is a complete false statement. And throughout, um, for me, throughout this whole pandemic, Trump has undermined um, his own uh, people's advice for the American people to protect themselves, has undermined the value of masks, and um, undermined the value of social distancing. And even if... It's not the government's job to make a mandate um, to how people should protect themselves. Um, I don't think Trump has even given good advice on how to
1: limit this um, pandemic. All right, let's. All right, uh, let's see. Uh, you mentioned okay, eighty-five. He said he mentioned the fact that, and uh, according to you, this, is not factual. I'm sorry. I don't know the. Uh, I don't know if this is true or not. I'm going to take your word for it that it that it was false uh, that 85% of people who wear masks or 85% of the time people who get COVID wore masks. I think was, is that what was his claim? Yeah, that's, that's what he said in his town hall. Obviously he was not trying to just say that to just hurt the majority of Americans, obviously had some sort of good intent. And we also have seen him say, you know, wear masks. I've seen him on multiple occasions say, wear masks, um, so I feel like there's definitely two very reasonable ways to interpret that.
2: All right. I think, I think. Um, well, yeah, wait,
0: I agree we should keep moving on to different topics. I guess I want to address one more thing when you talked about kind of criticisms of the federal of, of the government in general. And I'd like to point out that I'm not this isn't like a state's rights argument, but state leaders have shown in this pandemic that they've handled. The coronavirus very well. And I think that's kind of a testament to government's role. That government's role can be a positive one. I guess Andrew Cuomo is a really good example. In New York, cases were, cases were in New York City were going crazy. Imagine if he hadn't stepped in and put the rules and the restrictions that he did. It'd probably still be out of control. I think that's a good example of positive gover- governmental influence. I think there's there's plenty of other, other examples too, even from Republicans like Mike DeWine in Ohio. I know it's done a pretty good job, but I think it's not a government problem. It's a Trump problem. And Trump's response to this has been uniquely bad. Um, I don't think it's just an issue with the government in general. But and, that's, I guess, the last and thing. And before, want to say. and before we move
2: on, um, how since we started with the Woodward tapes, let's end with the Woodward tapes um, and get to them finally. And I think this really ties back into Trump's advice for our country and that point. Um, and look, these Woodward tapes show that Trump decided not to alert. Um, Americans to the dangers of COVID-19. And instead, now you see GOP leaders getting prosecuted for um, insider trading after they got coronavirus briefings on the dangers of it. So um, what is your response to that, to the accusation that Trump knew how serious this pandemic was but decided to not tell Americans about it?
1: Well, I'd say that there's, I guess I have a few responses. One, I'm not sure. that There was probably definitely something he could have done better there. I think there was some sort of way he could have gone about it better. Um, I'm at least grateful that, you know, he at least that the government was alerted of this. Because, I mean, in in reality, the people can only really do so much. They can only do what they can for themselves. The government is, you know, they need to have the, I guess, the only real point in, like, the fear factor in the people is to get them to take it more seriously and to wear their masks. But when it comes to the fear factor of government, that can, you know, cause them to actually take more action. Um, And so once again, and you brought up uh, New York, um, where it's a, you have to find the right balance between, you know, fear and, you know, we saw when, right when uh, it kind of, it hit people like how intense this was going to be. We saw the initial panic where people were clearing out grocery stores, the whole toilet paper meme became a big thing where it was like, that was like the most highly valued, like thing, uh, objects that a person could have um, where people freaked out and for, for better or worse, you could argue uh, either way. But in my opinion, when, you know, people are just raiding grocery stores and, like have this fear is never really a good thing, especially when people become driven by fear, then that's when that's when someone can take control and use that fear to get them to do certain things they would not do under normal circumstances or agree to certain things they would not do under normal circumstances. So you could once again make the argument that he was trying to, I don't know, keep his rating possibly up by not telling people about this. And I, I don't really know what if you were to I don't really know what the uh, um, perhaps I'll ask you what do you think his motivations were for not telling people about this um but you could also make the argument that he was alerting the government of this issue so they could take action but he didn't want the people to become overwhelmed with fear because he didn't want them to agree to things that they wouldn't normally over, um, that they wouldn't normally agree to you gotta in, during these crises, you got to slowly, you know, expose these things to people or else they can start acting irrational. So I mean, it's not, not my greatest response, but at the end of the day, you can't, the, at the end of the day, I'm not sure what he should have done better. I'm not sure, I mean, you can, I'm not sure what the outcome would have been if, A, he if he told people, I'm not sure. Because one of the big problems with this whole pandemic is that there's so many unknowns. Uh, We're just not sure what would have happened. We're not sure, I guess, about a bunch of things. Uh, I I guess that's all I have to say.
2: So one thing that we can agree that Trump has done, even if we disagree if he's done something on coronavirus or the economy, we can definitely agree that he's... Um, appointed many judges to the courts, and most recently he filled Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's Supreme Court seat with the confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett a couple days ago. So, in in your opinion, George, um, was ACV's confirmation um,
1: correct thing to do and fair? Well, you know, I, I I see a lot of people making the argument that you know back in um... I tw- back in 2016, Republican the Republican-led Congress, um, you know, blocked Obama during the election year from nominating uh, a Supreme Court justice because it was too close to the election. And we clearly see that that was not the case for that they are essentially biased. They were that that was not the case for when Donald Trump was electing someone to the or nominating someone to the Supreme Court. Um, but, you know, luckily, I'm one of the very few Republicans who was critical of, the, uh, of, the, of Congress for this move back then of not letting Obama, um, you know, nominate someone. So I luckily get to say I'm not biased, but I know a lot of people can't share that. And I think what people have to realize is this is politics 101. If it was the other way, we both know that, and we've seen it happen in the past, this is politics 101. If it were the other way, where a Democratic-led Congress and a Democratic president nominating someone, it would have gone through easy peasy. And Republicans would have claimed the same thing, that, oh, this isn't fair, it's too close. But They would have been powerless to do anything because they didn't have the majority in Congress. So I think I think it's, you know, as I like the way Trump put it, that a president is not nominated for three, or for three years, they're nominated for four years, Um, so he, uh, and that's his duty, his duty to his country to fulfill his job. And that, and his, and part of his job is to nominate Supreme court justices.
0: You know, I don't think, I don't think the American public really, like if you look at the American public's opinion, it is not the same as the Amy Coney Barrett Supreme court nomination. I think this close to an election, I think the next president should pick the Supreme Court justice, go with the will of the American people. If Trump wins re-election, you're going to get inaugurated, sure, he can nominate Amy Coney Barrett. That's not unfair. But this close to an election, I, I just don't I just don't think it's justified. And, Repu- and frankly, Republicans are hypocritical. I'm glad that you were critical of their decision to kind of oppose the nomination M- M- Merrick Garland. But there's really no difference. In fact, uh, the only difference is that Merrick Garland was nominated months before the election, where he, like w- way in the early stages of 2016, when Amy Coney Barrett uh, was was much more of a recent nomination. And, you know, that's not to say that's not to say she's not qualified or a bad person. I'm not trying to attack her character. I just don't think the way that the nomination went through is fair.
3: Something that has kind of came come up now. as a topic of this if biden get elected is packed is packing the court so what are your opinions on packing the court
0: i'm all for it you know it's obvious it's it's obviously constitutional. it's obviously a controversial issue but look the constitution says nothing about the illegality of packing the court the constitution only says that there needs to be one chief justice and that congress determines who's on the court it doesn't say anything about how many judges there are obviously the court's been expanded many times In history, and I think this is a this is a perfect time to because look, Republicans have been playing hardball, and Democrats have been slacking. A a point I should have made earlier is that I think Democrats could have fought harder against the Amy Coney Barrett nomination than they did. I think they looked a little weak in that situation, and I think it's time for Democrats to play to play hardball and extend the court because the current makeup of the court does not represent how the people of uh, the the American people feel on on these issues. It's like sick. It's It's a six conservative majority. It just doesn't represent. It just doesn't represent how the American people are looking. And I think it's its time to expand the court. I really don't care what the consequences are. But yeah, I'm sure George has a response to that.
1: Uh, yeah, I do. Um, you know, I when we look at the uh, I could definitely see the uh, at least I wouldn't have any short term benefit for my political party, but for your political party, I could definitely see some short term benefits. But if we look at the long term, throughout like American history, most pre the way most presidential elections have gone is it goes Democrat, then Republican, then Democrat, then Republican. And it kind of switches off. American people get tired of one party and then they switch to another party. Um, and that's just normally how it goes. So the problem with that is once you kind of set a like a normal uh, once you make it normal this packing the court to get your own majority, it's essentially like inflation where just then the next Republican president just does the exact same thing where they can pack the court and add in their candidate. And you know, there's nothing just because something is legal and it's a legal thing to do, doesn't mean that it is a good idea. It is technically legal to, you know, have massive inflation and to print to print money. But it is not a good thing to do because it would screw over the economy and i think if we you know have this and i would 100 percent say the exact same thing if it were the republican party doing it if they were proposing packing the court and taking actions to pack the court i would completely abandon the republican party because that is just not something i am and i believe the uh you can look this up but i believe i saw a study somewhere that said the majority of americans are not for packing the court And I just think the consequences are way, way, way too big for this, for any sort of, you know, I can, I don't think it should ever get past double digits. I could see, because I could see, you know, having seven, I could see maybe even having five, but between, but no more than nine. Uh, And because the thing you have to understand is that once this packing the court thing becomes normalized. We're just going to get more and more and more. There's not going to be a single president who, when given the opportunity to add another justice, uh, just eliminates that seat and says, actually, we're just not going to fill the seat. We're just going to so we can lower the uh, numbers. There's no it would be political suicide to do something like that, uh, because when you can give your own party an edge. So once we start packing the court, there's no telling on how we know there's going to be some serious consequences, but there's no telling how devastating those consequences will be.
2: Um, I think, I think. yeah, I think it's a fair point. And, um, but I think it is a little bit of a fallacy, the slippery slope fallacy, and there's no way to know for sure how that would play out in years going forward. But I think I have two, um, two feelings about the Supreme Court in this moment. And first is that I hear from the Republican side all the time that elections have consequences. And I think that's what you were kind of alluding to in the beginning of your argument that um, that with the election swings. And um, I don't, and but when I look at ending people's marriages or taking away their rights to abortion, I don't know if these are the consequences that should happen. Uh, I don't know if the court should act as a political wing of the Republican Party. Um, so if the consequences of a Democratic win in this election are that we get a more fair and balanced court, Um, I think most people can agree that those are the consequences we want, because um, I think the court systems are meant to act um, as nonpartisan. But now we see years and years of Mitch McConnell playing Judge Roulette throughout all of the court systems. Now that they now so they are pushing Republican ideology when, in fact, they should be nonpartisan and um, and should read the law how it is and um and so in my book the court packing is not the only solution um to this issue i think uh, many constitutional scholars agree that um you congress can legislate um which court cases uh, the supreme court can hear for example The Congress could rule that the Supreme Court can't hear any cases on abortion or gay marriage anymore. And because Article 3 um, says that SCOTUS has the power to hear all cases with exceptions under such regulations as the Congress shall make. Um, So with that, um, Congress now has the constitutional right to say which um, cases SCOTUS can hear. And um, if they say that SCOTUS can't hear cases related to abortion or gay marriage or something along those lines, that would kick the responsibility back down to the federal appeals courts in um, those for those cases. So that's another um, solution to the court packing issue. Okay.
0: Well, I guess I'm I'm a little personally I don't know I'm a little suspicious of that just because I feel like. The Founding Fathers set up this system of checks and balances for a reason. And I don't know. I just, I guess I'd have to, I haven't really researched that particular point as much, but I would have to, I'd be a little wary of the fact that it is kind of upsetting the checks and balances that are in place um, and limiting the courts of But I want to add, I guess, another option that I guess on paper might be realistic is Kind of make not making the Supreme Court a permanent appointment, right? Doing like rotating rotating judges. So say after an 18 year term, you move, you either get re- you either get replaced or get moved down to the fed down to the federal court. And yeah, I guess I'd want to hear both of your kind of opinions on that. Uh, should I start? Go ahead. All right. Um, so I just
1: believe that essentially packing the court. Uh, and as you mentioned, I think it really upsets the checks and, you know, you mentioned checks and balances, so I'm going to I'm gonna kind of add on to that, that packing the court upsets the checks and balances because then it can give any president, anyone in the executive office, complete control over the um, Supreme Court of the United States. And in my opinion, when you have like, there's got to be a clear cutoff, there can't be any sort of gray area, it's like, oh, but it was so close, it's like, but I guess one example I would give, one kind of example that we're all familiar with is at the end of the year, you know, I'm not sure if they do the same thing at Royce but if your grade is like close enough to like being bumped up a letter grade, they, you can try to get it rounded. And some features will set up, a lot of the times we'll set up clear cutoff points um, of this is the best I can do. If, even if it's 0.0001% away from that. I'm not going to do it because there can't be any sort of gray area, because then once, the, because once there is gray area, the, the only thing that will happen is that gray area is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and bigger where it's like, oh, but it was so close to that precedent that was set when Joe Biden packed the court. It was so close to when Donald Trump, uh, you know, elected that, uh, Supreme, nominated that Supreme Court justice. Oh, well, if it was so close, then yeah, we basically should, uh, you know, not, not allow this person to be nominated. And then, then that gray area just gets bigger. So you kind of see what I'm saying is that it, A, it kind of upsets the check and ba- checks and balances. And B, it creates this massive gray area and it gets rid of this very useful, strict cutoff point where personally, I don't care, Democrat or Republican. If it was the day before the election, they, they can nominate whoever because that's how long they're elected for. That's, and to your point that um, it doesn't reflect the views of the uh, United States, um, I could definitely, I definitely understand that argument. There's definitely, when it comes to proportional wise, there's definitely not that many conservative or Republicans in the United States versus, you know, Democrats or liberals. But you also have to take into consideration that the United, the people of the United States elected Donald Trump. And gave him the power, and so it was their view that to, that he should have the power to elect Supreme Court justices. You know, if they wanted to take that into account back in 2016, they probably should have done it then. That he would have had the power to do all this. But when you elect someone, you assume that the people of the United States have given the uh, person they elected permission to do what their job description entails or what their Given what their power enta- given to do whatever their power entails.
0: First of all, I don't think packing the court upsets the checks and balances because it still worked the same way, as in the president nominates, Congress approves. Secondly, yes, there may have been a gray area, but in Republic in 2016, I think the Republicans made set a pretty clear precedent that in election year, apparently you can't confirm a justice. So I don't see why this year would be any different. Um, Mitch McConnell didn't even let Merrick didn't even hear didn't even like take Merrick Garland have him like work the nomination through. He just refused to hear it, and I think that's a pretty clear precedent. I don't. I think it's just plain hypocritical that you go back on that.
1: But go ahead. Okay, and I'm actually going to. There was one point I forgot to respond that Cole made. um, That when it comes to you know that by you know being biased and we should be bipartisan, you know maybe we should all. Hold hands and sing Kumbaya, and then accept the uh, election, and then everyone should accept the election results of the, of 2020, and that there should be no outrage after it. But that's just not the reality of the situation. It's there's there is a there is a uh, majority in this, in Congress, and that's not a and. I to, for your own point, that's not a very stable majority any come when, you know, new Congress people get elected. Um, they don't have a very strong majority. It could easily flip to a Democratic majority. Um, but the reality of the situation is if you control the presidency and the and Congress, you essentially have free reign for nominating Supreme Court justices. Um, And to your point about how it didn't upset the checks and balances, the reason I say that, and I'm not sure if this wasn't clear or not, was that then whatever that president's political party is, essentially automatically gets reflected in the uh, Supreme Court.